All right, the book of Colossians. Colossians got four little chapters. And there's so much in this that I couldn't, there's no way I could give you these things, everything about it. I just taught this in our Bible Institute, and I taught it in 13 45-minute installments, and I rushed through it. And so anyway, but it's out, and we had to hurry and get it done because there's people right now in Missouri that are taking those courses. And so we was trying to get that finished, and I was staying late at night, and some of our folks here were staying late, and we was recording that and getting it done and sent out, and it's in Missouri to the satellite school over there, and they're taking this course. But this ain't the course. This is just a little smorgasbord, a little bit from each chapter here, and we're going to cherry-pick a few things. But notice when Paul wrote to these people, there's a church there, and when you read about this, there's several things. And first thing we're going to see is we're going to see in chapter 1, I'm going to show you two things from chapter 1, two things in chapter 2, one thing in chapter 3, and two things in chapter 4, if time permits. And the first thing is we see Christ as the creator. Look down in verse 13. It says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. That's Christ. In whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins incidentally almost every new bible in the market takes out the word blood there and let me just say if you don't have the blood you don't have redemption and if you don't have redemption you don't have forgiveness without the shedding of blood there's no remission and people are taking the blood out you better leave it in there then verse 15 speaking of christ who is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of every creature for by him were all things created. You say, by Christ? That's what it says. You say, what, was, what did he create? All things that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him... All things consist. And so he's the creator. You say the creator of what? The creator of the universe. Everything. Now, people, what they want to say is they say, well, God created everything. And we say, right. See, that's the whole point. People don't realize who Jesus is. They think Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago. And he did show up in a body 2,000 years ago. But believe me, he was around way before that. Way before that. Take your Bible and look in the... Gospel of John. Now, remember, we'll be going right back to Colossians in a minute, so you might want to hold your spot there. John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, it talks about this business of creation. The Bible also talks about a trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells you in 1 John 5, 7 that these three are one. There's three of them, but there's one. And you're just like that. You say, how am I just like that? Well, our whole body and everything is designed after the Lord's in that sense. Everybody's got a body. You've got a soul inside of you. You've got a spirit inside of you. And God's got three parts to him, so man has three parts to him. And when man was originally made, he was made in God's image. Of course, man couldn't. He messed that up. His name was Adam. And now you're made in Adam's image. <laughs> and so that's a big mess. But anyway, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word, 
capital W, it's not talking about something written, it's talking about a person, was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Not only was He with them, He was God, it says. Verse 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by Him, and if it... And if, if it's been made, he made it. That's all it says right there. Now you say, well, who is this person? Verse 14 defines it. And the Word, capital W, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. And watch this closely. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. The only begotten of the, the, only, begotten, the only begotten of the Father. Like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who's the word then? He's the son of God. He's Jesus. That's who he is. And look what it says in verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the what? In the beginning. Okay, look in Genesis 1 then. The front of your Bible. Let's go to the table of contents. Turn until you get to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. is how everything gets started in Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Genesis 1, 1, in the what? In the beginning. Then that matches John chapter number 1. That's how you study your Bible. You find things that match. And when they go together, they go together. And if they don't go together, they don't match. And you put things together. It's almost like putting a puzzle together. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, what does it tell you? It tells you in the beginning, God interjected himself into time. He started time. And the act of creation took place. And the New Testament tells you that Jesus was involved in that. Now, how he, could he be involved in that? If he wasn't born until 2,000 years ago. Well, it tells me he's always been around. And not only was he around, the Holy Spirit was working in it too. Look in Genesis 1-2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So there's the Holy Spirit. All three parts are active. All three of them are active in the act of creation. And that's probably been one of the greatest um, it's been one of the greatest attacks by the devil on that doctrine not just that Jesus did it the doctrine of creation itself and so now they teach evolution in all of our textbooks at school and I, you wonder how they even get away with something like that and I guess the reason they get away with it is people don't throw a fit if people threw a fit like they ought to they got that guy up there and Whatever state he's in, that they're, the jury is deliberating or whatever. What state is that anyway? I think Minnesota or Wisconsin. Wisconsin, yeah. Anyway, he's up there, and, and they're saying they're just waiting. Everybody's on edge, and if they find him not guilty, there's going to be riots in the street. Well, there shouldn't be any riots in the street. What they ought to do is send them home. If they don't want to go home, they make them go home. That's how you do something. Burning cities down. and Why aren't they on trial? They've been burning all this. It makes no sense. But the thing is, you know what they're going to do? They're not going to get their way if, 
and they're going to throw a fit. That's what they're going to do. And I hope they don't get their way because the boy was acting in self-defense. That's all there was to it. I wouldn't have been there with a the gun. I wouldn't even been there. But the fact is, he was, and a guy, and he was on his back, and a guy pointed a gun in his face. What do you do? And by the way, is it not a big deal that that guy had a gun? <laughs> I mean, whatever happened to that? You know, why is he in trouble? It's craziness. See, so that's what we're in. But you know what? That's not nearly as big a deal to me as them telling our kids that you came from monkeys, that God didn't grade everything, everything just evolved into what it is. People say, oh, it's not really that way. Oh, yeah, it's that way. We've got school teachers all over our church. We've got many school teachers. And I'm telling you, they will tell you, those textbooks tell you that. I was in the sixth grade. Our teacher, we had a teacher, you know what she said? She said, well, the textbooks tells us that, we're, that humans are animals. Now, I said, I don't care what the textbook says. That's wrong. I was a sixth grader. And she said, well, Derek, I don't mean we're animals. We're, we're mammals like they are, so we're, we're animals. I said, no, ma'am. I said, the Bible says that's wrong. Well, she said, well, we're actually we are. I said, no, ma'am, that's wrong. I just kept on going. I mean, I didn't know a whole lot, but I'm telling you, if somebody's saying God's a liar, I'm telling them they're wrong. Now, I raised my hand. I was polite and respectful. I raised my hand, and she called on me. And I didn't get on to her or be ugly. I just said, that's wrong. That's not what the Bible says. And the truth is, that is wrong. That's not what the Bible says. You're not an animal. Did you know the Bible, God put man over animals? He puts you over that. We're not equal with animals. We're over animals. But yet they've turned it around and they put animals over you. You say, they hadn't done it. You can kill a baby legally. You kill an animal, you go into prison. I'm not promoting killing animals because I don't want to. I don't. I, th I don't understand why somebody would just go hurt an animal to hurt an animal. I don't. I think that's right. I don't think God would want us to do that. But I don't see anything wrong with going and killing a deer and feeding your family. Say that's different. You're not out torturing something. You're you're eating something. You say, well, there's sport involved in it. Well, it's a good sport. <laughs> that's all right. Bass fishing's a good sport. You know, whatever it might be. That's exactly right. People are worshiping the earth instead of worshiping God. But see, if you can get rid of creation, you can get rid of God. And that's what they're after. They want to get rid of God. And they can get rid of God, then they can live any way they want to live. And they can get him out of mind. And that's what it's all about. But my Bible tells me that Christ is the creator. He's the creator. And I believe the Bible. Now go back to Colossians. And I hope that boy sues LeBron James and Joe Biden. They deserve to be sued, interfering with that stuff. The biggest crybaby in America is LeBron James. What a mess. I call somebody a crybaby. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter number 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now what else do we learn? A truth from Colossians. Here's a great truth. Christ is the preeminent one. That's, that's all there is to it. The word preeminence means superior. He's superior. You know what people get saying? They say, well, nobody's even better than I am. Oh, yes, there is somebody better than you. Somebody better than everybody. His name's Christ. 
and we come to church, the pastor is not the superior one. I have no idea why God called me to preach. I mean, I didn't even want to preach. I'm glad he called me now. I, mean, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. I love what I do and because he put a call in and, and put it in my heart to do that. But that doesn't mean I'm the superior one. If you're here to worship a preacher, what you ought to do is get saved or something. That's what you need to do. Because we don't worship preachers. We respect preachers and we respect an office, the office of a pastor. You say, whose office is that? God started that. That's his thing. And so we respect the office and we respect the church. And, and we should. But we don't worship it. That's wrong. And preachers make mistakes and preachers are not always right. But the Bible's always right. You know why? Because the Lord wrote the Bible. And you know what he is? Superior. He's superior. Now, everybody wants to make a big deal, and they want to talk about the Lord. And you see all these people with all these memes, and they're praying to sweet little baby Jesus. That's blasphemy. You don't do stuff like that. You leave him out of that. That's making fun of the Lord, and, they don't, and a lot of them don't mean to, and they don't realize what they're doing. But I'm telling you, you don't do stuff like that. You leave him alone. If you, you talk about the Lord, it ought to be in reverence. It ought to be a different thing. You say, why? Because he ought to have the preeminence. And he ought to have the preeminence in the church. Everything. It's about him. That's what it's about. And it should be about him. I'm thankful we had preachers come in, and, and I can brag on you here a little bit, just like the preachers we had last week. You know what both of them said? Man, that's an easy place to preach. Because you make preachers feel welcome. And not every church does that. I go to churches sometimes, and it's, it's hard preaching. I'm talking about you can just feel the tension in there, and they don't want you to pray. They wouldn't crack a smile. It don't matter. You could tell 150,000 jokes. You can tell the funniest jokes ever been told. I say, you know, that's just the way it is. But, man, it shouldn't be that way. We ought to come in here and, and be loose in the sense, not loose that we're doing things wrong, but loose in the sense that we're ready to get something from the Lord, we're happy, we're excited about being here, and we ought to make a visitor feel welcome, even if the visitor's a preacher. And you do that. And so I'm not getting after you, I'm commending you for it. You do that, and I appreciate that. But it, everybody says, it's easy preaching. That's the way it's supposed to be. Man, if a person's preaching the Word of God and preaching the Bible, we ought to be saying, that's right, preach on. That's the way it should be. And if he's bragging on Jesus, he's doing the right thing. He's doing the right thing. And we ought to be thankful for that. Be thankful. we got a great church. And one reason we have a great church is we make sure we're in our place and he's in his place. And his place is higher than our place. Don't you get tired of watching him on TV and the Pope comes through town and everybody gets down on their knees and sobbers and kisses on his ring and all that stuff? You're not to be doing that. If he was right with God, he'd do like Peter did. Peter told Cornelius, he said, stand up. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just a man like you're a man. You stand up and worship God. Don't you worship me. See, an honest person would do that. That's just the way it is. You don't worship preachers. You don't worship song leaders. You don't worship deacons. You don't worship women. You worship God. That's how you worship. We worship God. He's the preeminent one. And the bad thing is there's so many people that like to have the preeminence. I can go to a church, and Robbie's been with me enough all over the country. I can go to church, and he pretty well can too now. I can go to church, and I can sit there five minutes if I've never been there before. And if there's somebody running that church, I can tell you in five minutes who it is. We went to one church one time, and this old deacon got up there, and I mean, it was all about him. I go, boy, he needs out of there. I didn't say nothing to nobody. 
the week was over, and when the week was over, the pastor came to me and said, I'm really having trouble with that deacon. He didn't tell. I go, yeah, I spotted that within five minutes. Didn't take me long. I thought, man, why would he want to have the preeminence? Christ ought to have the preeminence. But boy, what a mess it was. Anyway, come to find out that deacon had been kicked out about three or four churches. How's he still a deacon? You ever wonder that? <laughs> Something's not right, is it? Christ, the preeminent one. Oh, we got to move on. How about chapter 2? Chapter 2, we're going to see there's some things that we're to beware of. You say beware of? That's what it said. Look in chapter 2, verse 8. Beware. First word. You say, what's that mean? Have special regard to this. Pay attention to it. Watch out for it. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Pay attention to that, he says. You know what the world will do? They'll spoil you. The worst thing ever happened to Christians get spoiled. We're spoiled Christians as it is. We're in here in padded pews. We've got air conditioning. We've got heat. We've got, well, we've got the nicest building in this county. There's no, I mean, that's, I'm not bragging. So that's just the facts. I mean, God's been good to us. Not that there's not other ones. God's just, he's blessed us tremendously. It's unbelievable. We don't deserve what we have. God's been good to us. Look what he's given us in this place. It's wonderful what we have. We're spoiled rotten. And the bad thing is, you know, there's people you can't, yeah, I just don't feel like coming today. You know why? They're spoiled. How about that picture of those people over there in Burma or wherever it is, and they're sitting in pews, and they got water up to their waist. The thing's flooded, and they filled up the church building anyway and came. That's unbelievable. They don't care. You go to the Philippines, you ought to see how those people get to church. It's not easy. And they come, and they get in the back of those jeepneys, and they get in those big buses they got. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're cram-packed by the hundreds of those things. And they come from all over the place, many of them from long distances. And it takes everything they got just to get there, and they come, and they just pack the places out. And I'm telling you, the conditions are nothing like this. They don't even have padded seats where we was at. They didn't have any of those things. We was in a tent with 5,500 people underneath a tent in the middle of a soccer field in there preaching. And you couldn't, and there were so many people, there was more people outside than there was. That tent held 2,500 people. There was more people outside the tent than there was inside the tent. They wanted to come. We got it too easy. That's what's wrong with us. We're spoiled. And he says, beware lest any man spoil you. Now, how can you get spoiled? One thing is through philosophy. The average church today no longer is a church. It's a place where somebody gets up and they talk about how smart they are. And they want to show you Greek lessons and Hebrew lessons. I never understood why a preacher would get up and say, now the Greek word for this is, let me, raise your hand if you know Greek. I don't say anybody. Why would I give you Greek words? What good would that do you? Raise your hand if you know at least some form, at least you speak it in some way, English. Raise your hand. Well, that's the language we're going to use here then. <laughs> I mean, you like English with a southern dialect, accent. Amen. We're going to use it that way too. Amen. That's right. That's exactly right. 
Well, that's what we ought to be using. We don't need to be up here teaching Hebrew. To you. Well, the Hebrew word, if you'll look it up in the Hebrew, I always like it, and they'll say, the Greek word for this word is this, and it means, and they give you an English definition, and they could have skipped the whole thing, and they could have just said, well, this word right here means, and never even said that. But it doesn't make them look as smart if they do it that way. Philosophy. You know what philosophy is? It's a lover of wisdom. That's exactly what the word means. Look it up. A lover of wisdom. It's okay to have wisdom, but you're not supposed to fall in love with those things. And when people start falling in love with wisdom, they get to fall in love with themselves. And that's no good. And then he says, and beware, let's see man spoil you through philosophy. And then he says, in vain deceit. That's to be misleading a person, trickery. That's how the devil works. You got to be careful. There's people that will trick you and do things so they can get something from you. After the tradition of men. Don't you know that's ruined churches? It's destroyed churches. Most churches are so full of tradition. We have plenty of tradition. But you ought to make room for the Holy Spirit to work. I mean, you go into a church and they've got every little prayer. I mean, this person's praying to open it. This person's praying for the offertory. This person's praying for the closing we're going to sing this number this number this number this number this person will provide special music then the pastor and then the invitation then the closing prayer and that's it and then the post whatever i mean they got everything down to, to an arch you know every little bitty thing i always wondered well what about if that guy that you got leading in prayer doesn't show that sunday man we'd, we'd be in a mess wouldn't we what a mess that would be people get crazy that's kind of like a baptist these Baptist churches will sing the first, second, last verse. And you say that. I had, last time I said that, a couple people looked at me like, well, I think that's the way we ought to do it. You're the problem. That's tradition. Why can't we sing the first, second, and third verse? You know I mean? If you're only going to sing three. I like the whole thing. They usually tell a story, and if you take a verse out, you miss part of the story. Miss part of what it's talking about. And oftentimes that third verse is the best verse of the whole song. It really is. I've told about them leading and singing, and, and they had an invitation, and the song leader got up, and he said, okay, first, second, last verse. I thought, well, he ain't expecting nothing to happen, is he? <laughs> but he didn't. He's a good, they're good people. They just People don't think. They just get so much in tradition that just don't even think about what they're doing anymore. Anyway, it's just the way it is. You go to the average church and you take up the offering at the wrong time, they say, oh, we can't do it like that. What really does it even matter? You know what I mean? What does it matter? I go to some churches, they pass the plates. I go to some churches, they say, okay, we got a bucket in the back. If you want to give something, put it in your way out or whatever. There's all kinds of ways to do it. You say, which way is wrong? Neither one. The Bible tells you to take up a collection. It tells us to do that. Everybody doesn't have to do everything exactly the same way. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. A lot of churches go by traditions. We ought to go by the Bible. After the rudiments of the world. That's another problem. People are going after the rudiments of the world. You say, what's that? Something that's taught. And in this case, the teachings of the world, fundamental principles, world teachings, whatever the world says, that's what we're doing. The rudiments of the world. That's exactly what we don't need to do. And that's what most of our churches have done. 
Most of our churches look like the world. They, that choir we've got, that's special to me. I mean, I think it's wonderful because so many people in our church can get involved in that. Anybody that wants to get involved can get involved. And you can get 80 or 100 people up there, and we've been packing that baby out. And I mean, it's sounding as good as it's ever sounded, and people get in. And I think we're singing it the way it ought to be sung, and we're singing the right kind of songs. I'll tell you what we don't have. We don't have a little smoke going up here. That's what they have at the rock concerts. I'm not having that at church. Man, it all looked different at church. And I don't want to be dead like a lot of these churches. And so well, those churches that have hymns and stuff, they're dead. Well, some of them are, but don't you speak for all of them because we're not. We got life in our church, and we're excited about what we're singing about. We have a good time. But, man, it's a mess what it is. I, just, I mean, ACDC, they can be ACDC, but they don't need to be at church. <laughs> That's not church. That's different different thing we ought to be different than the world is not after the root of its world and the average church today is trying to look like the world they're trying to look like a honky-tonk or a bar or something like that it's everything's blacked out the preacher don't look like a preacher he don't preach anymore the singing don't sound like the singing it sounds like something to be on the radio and let me tell you something the church ought to be different when people come in they ought to say you know what that's not like the world bingo Hey man, we got it right then. If it's not like the world, we're doing it the right way. It'll be different than the world. All right. And lastly, and not after Christ. If you're going to be spoiled, be spoiled after Christ. I'm Brother Mark McGahey. I'm ruined, he said. Well, we're ruined. That's what we are. I don't, I don't mind how he says it. We're ruined with the Bible, we're ruined with the Lord. And once you get in that, you will be ruined. You can't stomach other stuff anymore. That's just the way it is. You ever get all the way in, and I think a lot of you are, it'll ruin you. I'm not going to a dead church. They can forget it. That ain't happening. I mean, anybody's welcome to do what they want to. I'm saying me and my family are not going to a dead church. We've done got ruined. I'm not changing Bibles. I'm ruined. I'm not changing from old-fashioned preachers that we hear they're so good we're ruined we're not switching god's been good to us and blessed us and you know what we have a lot of fun we got big kids programs and all kinds of things i've had people say well y'all are just y'all have the kids pro y'all have vbs and have all those rides and stuff yeah we're gonna have them next year too lord willing because we like it and we like our kids and i'm good but that ain't church that's what people can't get in their mind that's not church you say, what is it? It's vacation Bible school. When we have a church service, we have a church service. Sunday night, we had a banquet. Pretty good one, too. Amen. <laughs> it's different. All right, Colossians. A couple weeks ago, what, what did we have? We had a get-together, and we had a fall festival. That's great. It's great church fellowship. There's nothing wrong, but it's not church. That's what people forget. They said, well, they're liberal. They had a fall festival. Call us whatever you want to. We're going to do stuff as a church because we like being around each other. But when we have church, we're having church. Colossians chapter 2. And it's more church than a lot of people can handle. Colossians chapter 2. I've seen Pentecostals come in here and get scared to death. I said, y'all just are fakes. Colossians 2. <laughs> I love it. Colossians 2, 12. 
buried with him in baptism. And by the way, nobody ever stopped speaking English either in here. If they do, they're going to have to leave. <laughs> Unless we get a missionary from another country. That would be a, we, 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 that could pass. But he needs to tell us what he's saying. He needs an interpreter. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Let me just say, we, hear, we also see a truth in Colossians, the operation of God. Now you say, what's that? That's how you got in. That's how you got saved. The operation. That's wonderful. Last Wednesday night, we had a medical doctor sitting back there, and I was asking him about surgeries and different things. And, and uh, Gracie's going through that surgical tech program, so she goes in and she's having to do all these, going to all these different surgeries and stuff like that. I said, I need to get her in your surgery, get her over there, because I know him really well, and uh, get, you, get her in there. And you know, he said, yeah. He said, that'd be good. And anyway, we got talking about all that and the operations and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure he could tell all kinds of different things, and I didn't spend time asking him about them. But you know what? It's not that kind of operation that I'm talking about. This operation is without hands. Those people over there, they have to use their hands. As a matter of fact, you ought to see, and some of you know, you nurses and different folks, you know you in the medical field, you already know all this because you've done it before. But I'm learning because I'm not in the medical field. It's amazing what they have to do to scrub down where they can go in to an operating room ain't it Camille you've never done it you know a little bit about it yeah do you know anything about it yeah Did you? yeah well, well anyway Grace has to do it because she's at part of the surgery team and anyway but I, they know a little bit about it though because they, they, they're just too far in but anyway um, you, uh, but man it's a process and they had to, I mean, it's a major, it takes like 10 minutes for each person or longer. And then if the, somebody was to touch them, they got to start over. It's craziness. Ain't that right, Sherry? I see Sherry back there now. I'm telling Sherry, it's nuts, ain't it? But it's right. That's what you're supposed to do. I mean, it's to make sure that you don't get germs and stuff. I want a doctor to scrub for you. <laughs> I mean, I want all that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't, you don't need those germs and stuff. They cut you open. So, I mean, that's a good thing. But this, to say, that's an operation made with hands. They're taking a scalpel and they're cutting, or whatever it might be. This operation right here, it's without hands. You say, what is it? It's a spiritual operation. It's the new birth, being born again. It's without hands. You say, how's it happen? Well, when you realize you're a sinner, you'll get under conviction, you'll know you're a sinner, and you realize Jesus died for your sins. They buried him, he rose again. We believe he's alive. And you believe he's your savior. And you pray and you ask him to forgive you of your sins and to save you. You know what happens? An operation takes place. Right then and right there. And he doesn't even have to put you to sleep. He doesn't leave a scar. Nothing happens on the outside that you can see. But something sure happens on the inside. The new birth takes place. You say, explain the new birth. Boy, I wish I could. Don't you? I can't explain everything about it. I just know one thing. You're not the same person anymore. The Lord moves in. You get born again. It's a big deal is what it is. It's a new birth. And it says in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's like he takes a spiritual knife and goes in and he cuts that flesh away from your soul and your spirit. And when you sin, it doesn't touch that anymore. That's a good thing, isn't it? 
The old flesh is no good. But you got something on the inside that's experienced the new birth. And so that's exciting. It's the operation of God. Did you? And by the way, did you know he's the great physician? Everybody says, well, it doesn't say he's the great physician. Well, it sure indicates it. He's performing an operation, isn't he? You say, well, that's not really an operation. Well, how about the one in Genesis 2? Was that an operation? He put a man in a deep sleep and took a rib, a physical rib out of his side, made a woman out of it. So that ain't even possible. Well, they know it is now. That cloning stuff, man, they can get DNA. They can do all kinds of stuff. That's what the Lord did. He was just about 6,000 years ahead of these doctors. And the thing is, he didn't just learn it 6,000 years ago. He's always known it. He knew what to do. Man, he took that rib out, made a woman, put the thing, put it, sold him back up. I don't even believe he had a scar. He didn't need, I don't even think he had staples. Nothing. And he woke up and things were different. And Adam called her woman. Somebody said he called her woman because he goes, whoa, man. Never seen anybody look like that before. <laughs> That's a good thing he made a woman. You men ought to be glad. Aren't you glad we don't live in a world where there's only men? Ugh. <laughs> I'm glad it's not that way. Thank God for women. It's the operation of God. An operation takes place. And it's a baptism, it's a, but it's a spiritual baptism. It's not a water baptism. That's what people can't get in their mind. Every time they say baptism in the Bible, these people say, water, 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 water. And it doesn't mean that. The word baptism means to be immersed or dipped. In what? Is whatever the context may be. If it's water baptism, you're immersed or dipped in water. If it's spiritual baptism, which is mentioned many times throughout the New Testament, like in, um, um, like in um, Acts chapter 10, and like over there in Matthew where John the Baptist said, one's coming after mighty or me. He said this one guy, he said he baptizes with water and he baptizes with fire. And he talks about the spiritual baptisms and all these other baptisms through there. But the word baptism means to be immersed. If you're going to baptize somebody in water, you've got to put them under. That won't get it. Put them under. And if you're going to baptize somebody in the Holy Spirit, you're not going to, but the Lord is the only one that can do that. It's a spiritual baptism. He immerses your spirit by his, with his spirit. And so anyway, there's seven different baptisms mentioned in the New Testament. Seven different kinds of them. Seven kinds. All right, we got to stop. I couldn't finish it. I got plenty for next time, though.